You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, Quack COVID. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores the intersection of science and society. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Or send us an email at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at l-u-e-e-podcast.com. My name is Ashlyn Noble, and I'll be your host tonight. Uh, with me today, I have Jem Newman. Hello. Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. And Lauren Bailey. Hello. So we are certainly in unprecedented times. Uh, But the more things change, the more they stay the same. People are rightfully frightened of the impact this disease is having on us and are looking for solutions. Quacks, hucksters, and evil people have come up with a variety of garbage to shield a scared people, making various promises that their concoction will be the cure or the preventative. If you're anything like me, you subscribe to a bunch of podcasts, most of which have been largely coronavirus-related topics for the past month. We are recording this episode to spotlight our specialty, bad people who try to sell bad things. But we'll understand if you give this a pass in favor of some non-virus-related content. Is there any out there these days? There's a few, like uh, the physics podcast that I listen to still does weird physics questions instead of virus-related content. Uh, There's also, like, I recommend... Uh, podcasts like Escape Pod and Podcastle, which are still putting out excellent short stories every week instead of virus-related content. So if you'd like some escapism in the form of speculative fiction, head their way. Nice. So we're going to start with Jem, who is covering some garbage that Alex Jones is selling, of course. So I'll start with a primer on Alex Jones for the uninitiated, if uh, there are any in our listenership. Alex Jones is a Texas-based radio host responsible for both InfoWars and Prison Planet. Uh, He is best known for endorsing every conspiracy theory under the sun and doing it at the top of his lungs, red-faced and shouting in his unmistakable (laughs) cigarette and whiskey voice. Including contradictory ones. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, And we'll get into that very shortly. (laughs) First, you all know Alex Jones. How old would you guess he is? 60? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I know the answer, so I can't say. I don't know. I'm real bad at guessing. 55. Yeah, that's about what I thought. That's what Uh, I thought, too. He is 46. No! He was born in 1974, (laughs) making him not that much older than us. So his anti-aging shit is not working. (laughs) No! (laughs) Anything but... For quite a while, Alex Jones was largely seen as kind of a harmless kook. You know, he was always ranting, but he was ranting about, like, fluoride and weather weapons and accusing NASA of faking the moon landings and making numerous appearances on Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM alongside the likes of Sylvia Brown, Richard Hoagland, and Giorgio Tsoukalos. You know, it seemed, to me anyway, from a distance, that people didn't take him too seriously. But... Jones is also extremely right-wing and a close ally of Donald Trump, uh, describing himself at various times as a libertarian and a paleoconservative. And with the rise of Trump and the conspiratorial mindset that Trump is all too happy to stoke, it seems to me that folks are starting to wonder whether the political content of Jones's rants about FEMA death camps might actually be, you know, less of a laughing matter and more a bit of a problem. <laughs> I'll start with a few highlights before we get specific. Jones insists that global warming is an invention of the World Bank designed to control the global economy by instituting a carbon tax, and was one of the promoters of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. While he did accuse the Bush administration of staging the September 11th attacks, Jones also maintains that the Oklahoma City bombing was a false flag operation and was involved in several lawsuits with the parents of children killed in the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting, which he claimed was a hoax. 
He promotes the completely fabricated connection between vaccines and autism, and regularly invites Mike Adams, the self-styled health ranger from Natural News, onto his show to hawk all manner of harmful quackery. I hate that guy so much. Yeah. Jones has claimed that the government is, and I quote, putting chemicals in the water to turn the friggin' frogs gay, and has endorsed baseless white genocide conspiracy theories most popular with literal Nazis. There is, of course, a method to this particular madness. Stoking people's fears and playing into their frequently racist conspiracy theories is incredibly lucrative for someone who just so happens to run an online store that sells all manner of tinfoil hat prepper garbage, from brain force pills to tactical wall clocks to buckets of freeze-dried shelf-stable food, which are, it should be noted, notorious in prepper circles for being inexplicably expensive and of very low quality. <laughs> what is a tactical wall clock? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. You, know, you can, like, hide ammo and shit in it. Oh my god. It's, it's $120, and it's an incredibly cheap clock with a face that pops off. Oh my god, all right. I can... Okay, if you're in a situation where you need ammo really quickly, hold on a second, let me go over to my clock, isn't going to go over so well. <laughs> oh my god, he's going for the clock, quick! <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we need some sort of like really bad parody film called What Time Is It, Mr. Wolf, and uh, we're, we're all set. <laughs> So, of course, it should come as no surprise to anyone that Jones is capitalizing on worries surrounding the novel coronavirus. Last month, after South by Southwest was cancelled, Alex Jones insisted that the pandemic was merely a government psyop to sow panic and thereby consolidate power. Of course, Jones has also claimed that the novel coronavirus is a synthetic and man-made virus, going on to say that it was clearly a globalist chai plot. Of course, expecting any kind of internal consistency from a conspiracy theorist is a recipe for disappointment, as uh, I believe Ashlyn brought up earlier. Uh, but Jones is consistently inconsistent. You all know the grift by now. Controlling people is a stopgap. But having antivirals, getting your immune system healthy, that is the answer. And yes, folks, we sell great antivirals. But does he? <laughs> what exactly is it that he's selling? <laughs> Great antivirals, apparently. So centuries ago, when the Black Plague was still ravaging Europe, yes, I'm, I'm doing this, some alchemists recommended imbibing aurum potable, or drinkable gold, a potion made of ether and gold dust. It sounds excitingly expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and excitingly very bad for you. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, drinking ether? Not so good for you, it turns out. Paracelsus wrote, Of all elixirs, gold is supreme and the most important for us. Gold can keep the body indestructible. Drinkable <laughs> gold will cure all illness. It renews and restores. Did it work? Of course not. Contemporary medical texts describe an auric fever brought on by administration of potable gold. I will uh, quote the British Medical Journal. This fever was accompanied by profuse sweats, a very abundant flow of urine, gastrointestinal irritation, kidney damage, and other toxic effects. Now, Alex Jones is not selling potable gold, but he is selling exactly the next best thing. He's selling colloidal silver. <laughs> but first, some physics. Um, <laughs> does anyone know what a colloid is? Oh, I used to know this definition. I don't remember. It's just, is it just a suspension? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. A colloidal suspension is a mixture consisting of one substance microscopically dispersed in a fluid, where the dispersed substance does not settle out of the fluid over time, so it mm. remains suspended. Typically, mm. it, you'll see some uh, some scattering as well if you shoot light through it, but not not always. Right. Colloids are distinguished from solutions in that solutions share a single phase with their solutes. Well, colloidal suspensions constitute two distinct phases, and the suspended particles are not required to actually be soluble. Milk, for example, is a colloidal suspension of hydrophobic butterfat globules in a water-based solution. Cellular cytoplasm is also technically a colloid. 
That is, of course, way more detail than is strictly relevant for my segment, but it's my segment, goddammit. <laughs> Colloidal silver is a suspension of microscopic silver particles in a liquid medium. Silver isn't actually an essential nutrient in humans, it doesn't do anything for us, but it's been a common quack cure since the early 20th century, with proponents claiming that it will cure anything from tuberculosis to diabetes, cancer to AIDS. While silver does have antimicrobial properties when applied topically, and it is used in medical devices and wound dressings, there is no evidence that colloidal silver is effective at preventing or treating any medical condition at all, and whenever it's been studied for this purposes, the results have been negative. For more than 20 years, retailers have been banned by the FDA from making therapeutic or preventative claims for colloidal silver. But Alex Jones is a libertarian, and like any good libertarian, he objects strongly to the government getting in the way of his parting marks from their money. On InfoWars, Jones was selling several fraudulent coronavirus cures, including the Super Silver Immune Gargle and the Super Blue Nano Silver Toothpaste, fluoride-free, of course, which <laughs> Jones claimed kills the whole SARS corona family at point-blank range. Sidebar, even if colloidal silver did anything at all to prevent COVID-19, uh, which, of course, it does not, it's unclear how a toothpaste that presumably you're not even supposed to swallow, would help. Yeah. I guess the idea is that it's a topical antimicrobial agent, or antiviral agent, I guess. Viri aren't microbes. So it would theoretically inactivate any viri that happened to be in your mouth at the time, but haven't yet been taken into your system. Right, God, right. So like, sense. oh, you just sneezed in front of me and I inhaled it. Wait, let me go brush my teeth now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know, Jem, what liquid the silver is suspended in? Because I imagine it wouldn't work if it was just water. Uh, it varies. I don't know. For a paste, it's pretty easy to suspend it in something that thick. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they what they are using. Um, Vodka. It, <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it varies. I, d I don't know in this particular case. Okay. There are lots just of different curious. brands. Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, is also a proponent of um, of spritzing colloidal silver like kind of all around. <laughs> she mm -hmm. claims that she uh, she does it whenever she before she sits down on, at her seat in an airplane. Oh boy, that's exactly something that she would say. She is so rich and so out of touch that it's not even something that she's going to use within her. She just throws she just, it around. Yeah, just sprays <laughs> sprays you know precious metals around <laughs> just in case. The point is, colloidal silver doesn't actually do anything, except maybe interfere with drug absorption. Oh, and it also turns you blue. I don't know for sure why super blue toothpaste is called super blue. Presumably, the paste <laughs> itself is blue. I didn't put that together until just now. But uh, oh, colloidal awesome. silver does have the rather unpleasant side effect of permanently turning a person into an oversized smurf. This condition is called argyria, and it is irreversible. That is to say, you stop taking the colloidal silver, you do not stop being blue. Violet, you're turning violet, Violet! One of the best-known cases of argyria is that of Stan Jones, a two-time libertarian candidate for United States Senate from Montana in the mid-2000s. Jones was an advocate for colloidal silver as a home remedy for just about everything, and he maintained that colloidal silver was responsible for his good health. His campaign was unsuccessful. Whether this was a result of his stance on the issues or his gray-blue skin, we will never know. As for Alex Jones, he appears to be joining televangelist Jim Baker, who was also called out for hawking colloidal silver, in complying with a cease-and-desist order issued by the Attorney General's office. While still featured prominently in images and advertising in the health and wellness section of InfoWars, neither the toothpaste nor the super silver immune gargle are currently available for purchase uh, from his online store. You can still get that tactical wall clock, though. <laughs> oh, good. As always, Laura has found a nutritional angle on COVID quackery. Thanks, Ashlyn. I'm actually going to take a slightly different turn, or it's going to be more of a, 
I don't even want to call it a detour because I don't know if we're actually going to end up in quite the same spot. So let's call it more of a parallel path. I approve of this uh, type of segment. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like I'm channeling my inner gem here. As we can imagine uh, with the pandemic and everything that's going on, so many of the claims, especially on health and wellness websites and and Insta bloggers and all these kinds of people are things like, well, eating is so important and your nutrition is so important. So how can you use it to boost your immune system? And I want to say right off the bat uh, that all of the major dietetic associations have put out prominent statements that have been picked up by the media and widely shared saying that there is no food that will cure COVID or will specifically prevent it, and there is no food that can, quote-unquote, boost your immune system. Um, Good nutrition is still important, and do what you can, but they've come out very strongly against that, and I I applaud that. They're very quick to do that. Even echinacea? Even echinacea. Well, that's one I didn't (laughs) actually look into, so I'm going to keep things very edible here and very, uh, very much in your pantry. So what I thought I would talk about is a couple of things that always come up when it comes to illnesses. So it's not coronavirus specific, but it is things that don't seem to die. So first I'm going to talk about vitamin C, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about garlic. So first up is vitamin C. Now, I think most of you probably heard in your youths, take vitamin C so that you don't get sick, or if you are sick or something like that. My mother still says that to me occasionally. It's a thing. It's out there. It's Both just out there. my parents too. Yeah. And it's hard because I don't want to say it's entirely untrue, but I will get to that very quickly. We've all heard of vitamin C, but what is it? Another name for it is ascorbic acid. So it is uh, a part of our fruits and vegetables. It's primarily available in plants. It's very tiny amounts in animal foods there. And it is a vitamin, which means that it's essential. We need it to be healthy and our bodies can't make it. So we must get it through food. Its role in our bodies is multifactorial. It really, what it is, it's an antioxidant. It's one of the primary antioxidants in our bodies. And because it's such a great antioxidant, it's used in a lot of redox equations for all sorts of different things in our bodies. One of its biggest roles in our bodies is in collagen synthesis. So aside from our bones, collagen is the major structural component of our bodies. And pretty much every body tissue has collagen in it. And vitamin C is indispensable for making high quality collagen. So if anybody's ever heard of scurvy, which a lot of people have, pretty much everybody, that's the name of the disease when you have vitamin C deficiency. And a lot of the symptoms of scurvy make sense when you think about it in terms of collagen. Scurvy, you get things like weakness and pain and injuries and bleeding gums and things like this because your tissues aren't strong. Your collagen isn't strong enough. Anyway, that's a bit of a side piece, but it's important to think about vitamin C's role there. We read a thing recently where they were talking about scurvy and how collagen is like actively keeping your scar tissue together. And so when you get scurvy, your old wounds start to come apart. Is that true? Because it's horrifying. (laughs) I have also Uh, heard that. I I don't know. I am not an expert in scurvy. I don't work in rare diseases. Yeah, it's not something you come across very often anymore. (laughs) No, but it makes sense that if that's a weak point, I think it would probably depend on what's going on in your scar tissue and how weak or strong that is there. If that's a weak point, then yeah, that makes sense. Because if you had a lot more collagen in that area, or the collagen was kind of poorly formed to begin with, then if you have vitamin C deficiency, that that could happen. Oh, that was just one of the most horrifying things I've ever heard. (laughs) Nutritionreview.org says it's true. Yeah, I I would believe that. It doesn't sound out of line with that there. Good to know. Nightmares. So we can understand vitamin C is really important, but where does the immune connection come in? Not only is vitamin C really important in collagen, but we find that it plays a really important role in some of our immune-related cells, particularly in our neutrophils. So neutrophils are one of the first line of our body's innate immune system. They hang out along the lining of the respiratory tract and along the lining of the gut and things like that. And they're one of the big cell responders when there's an invading pathogen of some kind. So not only is vitamin C important in keeping the integrity of our 
body and and physical barriers to pathogens intact in its role in collagen synthesis, but it's also seems to be really important in the way that those neutrophils work as well. So this is important to keep in mind. We see we tend to see that there's a high high concentration of this vitamin C in the neutrophils. Again, how does this relate to immunity? Well, what the evidence tells us is that when there are when a person has low vitamin C levels, neutrophil effectiveness in managing invading pathogens decreases. And there's a lot of different ways that that works that's quite complicated and I'm not going to get into. So with low vitamin C levels, basically when you're not getting enough, your neutrophils aren't working as well. Same thing, uh, vitamin C is also involved in some of the regulatory roles or the maturation role in uh, some of our T cells for our immune system. And so those cells also don't work quite as well if our vitamin C levels are low. The neutrophils sound like nanites. <laughs> for sure. So when we think about vitamin C's role in immunity, it's not that vitamin C actually kills pathogens itself. I'm not sure if this is what people expect, but I kind of wonder about that a lot of the time. And I think it's worth pointing out. It's not like taking vitamin C is going to be somehow in your bloodstream and it's going to encounter the virus and like, boom, knock it out. It's a very much a chain reaction way that it affects immunity. One of the key things that I mentioned, though, is that it matters whether your vitamin C levels and whether your vitamin C intake is low or not. When we look at studies looking at whether or not vitamin C supplementation works, sometimes we do see a positive effect. And there's a few reasons to that. One of the things that we also learn is that because of the antioxidant role of vitamin C, when we are in times of stress, whether it's illness, physical exertion, environmental stressors, and uh, toxins and things like that, that we are encountering, we, we need more vitamin C than on an average day. When we do studies looking at groups that are living with these conditions and their intake is low, when we give them a supplement because they actually needed more than the average, they do better. Their bodies work better. So that kind of makes sense, right? And it's important to know too that only a tiny amount of vitamin C every day is needed to prevent scurvy. Only about 10 milligrams is needed a day. The RDA is 75 or is it 90? milligrams. I can't remember. It's around 100 milligrams. It's way more than 10 C. anyway. Way more than 10, right? <laughs> and so it's very it's one of those things that a tiny amount will prevent the disease, but we actually need more than that. And that's assuming that we're doing really well. It's not assuming that we're trying to deal with any other stressors or something else. And how much vitamin C is in like an orange? You know, 100 milligrams. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you have a couple servings of high vitamin C fruit a day or several servings of vitamin C fruit and vegetables every day, you'll easily hit the RDA. It's not a hard thing to do. And when we look at the evidence from these supplements that showed better action of these neutrophils and immune cells, they were a lot of the supplements were looking at supplementation or daily intake ranges of 100 to 200 milligrams a day. So again, this is very doable through diet, and I would say through even a typical well-balanced diet. So it's not huge. It's not magic. It's just eating well. Where we need to keep in mind, though, is that, again, this is if our levels are low. When we look at what happens when things are going okay and we are already eating a lot, the picture gets a little bit different because it doesn't mean that just because a small amount to get to a threshold is good, that way more than that is necessarily better. That's not how right. bodies and vitamins work. People tend to think more is better with a lot of things, but our bodies can only use so much in a day. And while we don't necessarily know the exact amount that any given person needs for sure, or that the general population needs in a given day, we can get a picture that after a certain amount, it's not going to be effective anymore. Vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin, which means that our body has limited storage capacity from it. So if you take high doses, you just pee out most of what you don't need. And that's important to know too. So just taking more and more and more isn't actually going to make an effect. And if you weren't getting enough and you start taking some vitamin C, and now your neutrophils are working better, it's because you weren't getting enough in the first place, not because the vitamin C is magic, right? You basically just brought yourself back up to where you should have been. 
but it doesn't mean that more vitamin C than that is going to make them work twice as well at preventing whatever it is. Like they're just, you're just getting yourself up to where you ought to be. And that's, that's it. There's a cap to that. But at least if it's water soluble, it's not going to be toxic, right? Vitamin C is generally pretty safe. It's uh, one of the safer vitamins there. There's some evidence that uh, for people who have pre-existing kidney stones, it may increase the risk of developing new kidney stones. It tends to cause gastrointestinal side effects if you're taking large amounts of it. So you might want to mm. be careful with that. Isn't there a ton of vitamin C in cranberry juice? <laughs> There, there is some, yeah. Okay, I just think that's funny. But that keep what? in mind, though, that most of the vitamin C that you get in any juice, because juices that we consume are pasteurized, most of the naturally occurring vitamin C will be denatured, and then they resupplement it with vitamin C. And they add it back in. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, you can actually get. Uh, I remember I was looking at a little thing of orange juice I got at A and W with my breakfast one morning years and years ago and it had zero percent of my recommended daily intake of vitamin c and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> but it was because it was pasteurized and they hadn't bothered to uh supplement it another reason that it seems like vitamin c supplements may work is that people who naturally have weaker immune systems are also the most likely to have low vitamin c levels so the very young and the very old tend to have weaker immune systems. For young people, they're just not developed enough. For older people, as we age, like most of our body systems, they don't work so well anymore. Especially for older people, their diets tend to be less varied and much lower in vitamin C. So they've got a bit of a double whammy there. So when we look at studies of hospitalized patients, for example, who are given vitamin C, they tend to get better faster, probably because they tended to have really low levels to begin with. So we don't know what would happen if we had supplemented them to get up to a good baseline or made sure that they had a really high vitamin C diet and then given them more vitamin C, right? Like it's just really equalizing things. So it's not like they're actually getting healthier. It's just they were at a disadvantage. Is it also partly like that people who can afford to supplement vitamin C can also afford more other things in life that might make them less prone to being sick? Well, we can't rule that out. The, sure. the evidence that I looked at wasn't looking at that per se, but that goes along with the picture with a lot of these things there. I mean, one of the big reasons that older adults tend to have uh, lower quality diets is because a lot of them are living on really, really low incomes and have much more limited access to, to foods. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. It's always worth keeping in mind. <laughs> All right. So how does this fare against actual viral illness? Well, of course, we don't have evidence to look at how it actually deals with COVID right now. It's too new, and people are busy working on actual cures, not <laughs> fake ones. So I actually don't want to see evidence about this because I don't think it's useful. The closest evidence we have is for how vitamin C helps prevent or treat the common cold. And there's a Cochrane review on this. So that was a very helpful resource here. It's important to point out that while we call it the common cold, it's usually considered to be more than 200 different viruses, 30 to 50% of which are rhinoviruses. So of course, COVID is a form of a coronavirus. Notably, coronavirus is responsible for about 20% of colds that we experience, but we're not talking about COVID here. We're just talking about regular cold, but really it's the closest thing we have. When we look at the evidence for groups that are regularly supplemented with vitamin C, there was no fewer colds in the general population. The only group that had fewer colds when they regularly took vitamin C supplements were people who did extreme athletic endeavors. We're talking like military officers who live and train in the Arctic for six months a year that kind of extreme physical exertion. I don't think that really qualifies for the general public, for the most part. So for the average person, taking vitamin C every day isn't going to prevent a future cold. There's some limited evidence that it may reduce the length of the cold in the general population. So a cold on average will last seven to 10 days and the regular supplementation will reduce it by eight to 14%. So if your cold was gonna last seven days, you could reduce it down to on the low end, 6.44 days. So you know, you get that half day back um, or maybe just reduce it down to six. So you might shave a day off your cold, but for the most part, you're not going to notice this. 
There is some hotly debated evidence around whether or not taking huge doses of vitamin C at the onset of a cold will help to reduce the length here. And again, I want to point out the vitamin C isn't going to kill the virus itself. When I say huge doses of vitamin C, I'm talking six to eight grams a day. Oh. Yeah. So this is, this is large amounts. You couldn't do this through food alone. The studies, uh, there was a lot of mixed evidence. Most of the research was done back in the 70s, but there was some updates in the 90s and that there. But really, really inconclusive evidence for that. And again, you're looking at shortening the cold by a day or two. It's not like you take it and the next day it's gone or anything miraculous like that. So the Cochrane Review recommended that regular supplementation to prevent colds isn't useful. Although if your diet is low in vitamin C and you're in a high risk group, it might be worth it. So relating to COVID, when you look at diet lists of immune boosting foods, foods high in vitamin C are one of the first things that you see on there. And I'm all for eating those foods. Even though we live in a developed nation here in Canada and we have access to a ton of high vitamin C foods year round, even right now, there's lots of them on the store shelves. A lot of people aren't getting enough vitamin C and it's because of our diet patterns. So on the whole, if you can do as much as you can to get those vitamin C foods, not because they're magic, because they'll just be getting your body to work as best as possible. You might still get sick, but at least you did what you could. So now I'm going to switch over to garlic a little bit. This one never goes away. In fact, one of its claims to fame is that it's been around for ages. It's been around for millennia for treating things. And as we all know, that is, is very clear data on its effectiveness, right? Well, I remember when I was a kid, my stepmother would, whenever there was an illness, would make like this, this really like garlicky, like absurd, absurd, like delicious garlic soup. It was just like a garlic soup to get everybody back on their feet. This, this was before she started, you know, looking into Ayurveda or maybe it's traditional Chinese medicine. That Yeah, it's uh, TCM that says that garlic is not a good thing to eat because it's uh, some sort of nonsense. It's so hot. She's off garlic now. Yeah, it's a hot food or something. But yeah, I've, I've heard this, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't mean to kill your momentum. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with this. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to mention this one really quickly, because like I said, it just never goes away. The fact that it's quote-unquote natural, it is, has been used for a very long time, and it's closely tied with folklore, and of course, it's pungent by nature. We tend to associate things that are pungent as having a strong action, whether that's true or not. So all of these attributes make garlic the perfect, easy answer to this new and fear-inducing health concern that we all have. Of course, if it can make you clear out your nose and, and feel like you can breathe a little easier, it must be doing something, right? That's, that's the thought with it. When it comes to garlic and immunity, it has some of the same sort of effects as vitamin C. There's a few active compounds. One of the biggest ones that's looked at is allicin, which is a compound that's created when raw garlic is crushed or sliced. And that's said to be a bit of an anti-inflammatory and again, increase the activation of certain different immune regulatory cells and, and things like that. So that's where garlic and the immune system connection comes in. A lot of the evidence we have around this though is of course in cell cultures and in rodent models, but not a whole lot in humans. So while we can learn from this, we can't make conclusions. How allicin works in a petri dish with some liver cells is very different than how it works when you pop a few whole cloves of raw garlic to see what happens there. There's actually so little evidence for things that there aren't even really reviews on how it actually works for people. I'm going to go back to how it works on the common cold. The Cochrane Review tried to do a review of it, but they were only able to find one study that met their criteria. Everything else was too low quality. And so they did a review on one study that showed that people <laughs> taking the garlic pill compared to people taking the placebo had many fewer colds, but that's one study. That's it. And that has to be really hard to do a placebo on because you can tell if you've taken one of those garlic pills. Right. And they did note that uh, at least four people in the four more people in the garlic group compared to placebo commented that they could taste something. And so who knows how many more figured it out. Mm -hmm. So looking at the evidence for the common cold, 
We have a tiny amount of evidence that needs to be taken with a huge grain of salt. So if you like garlic, eat garlic. Is it going to prevent COVID? Absolutely not. Don't stop eating it, but it's not going to keep you healthy. And finally, I want to end on the idea of an immune-boosting diet. I've alluded to this, or actually outright said it already, but there's no one food that's going to make your diet immune-boosting. Immune-boosting itself is a really bad phrase. What we really want to be thinking of is giving ourselves the nutrients so that our bodies can work as best as possible. A lot of us are not getting as many nutrients as we should for a variety of reasons, but you don't need to go out and buy expensive supplements, and you don't need to go and buy organic food. In fact, please don't. And you don't need to go and buy berries you've never heard of and freeze-dried whatever from whatever spirulina algae or whatever it is. All you really need to do is eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, as many as you can, whole grains, nuts and seeds. These are the things that are going to give you those nutrients that actually do provide your immune system with the building blocks that they need to work as best as possible. If you can't afford these kinds of things, first of all, that sucks. And second of all, you do the best that you can. But that's really what an immune boosting diet is. It's the regular foods that are normal and just try to eat them. Don't go for any of the woo-woo stuff. There's nothing, there's no tea, there's no whatever that's going to detoxify or immune blast that COVID out of you. (laughs) (laughs) You like that, Jim? (laughs) It definitely sounds like something you you need to turn the exhaust fan on for. (laughs) All right, thanks, Laura. So Lauren took a local look at some ridiculous things that are being touted here and uh, ended up on a herbal tea kick. <laughs> well, it's tasty. It is tasty. <laughs> so we'll start locally. On March 18, 2020, a local Winnipeg acupuncturist sent out an email to his clients promoting a blend of six herbs that, taken over a six-day period as a tea, would prevent their contracting COVID-19. Luckily, he had this blend available for $60 in his acupuncture clinic. Sometimes experience is more important than science, the acupuncturist was quoted. After being caught by an undercover CBC reporter, the clinic walked back its message, saying, Please don't misunderstand the Chinese herbal tea benefits. For prevention, most important is to keep social distance, hand wash, self-isolation, wear masks, gloves, eye goggles as needed. So if this was six herbs over 10 days, was he giving you like 60 pounds for $60? That's a ridiculous price for herbs. I think it was just like not even that much. I think it was like one cup of tea a day. Like 10 tea bags? Yeah. Jeez. That is is a lot of money. (laughs) And that was only the local example. But from there, I did a quick Google of herb tea to prevent COVID. And it gives over 4 million hits on Google. Uh, yes, I know, I know, no. I know. Uh. <laughs> so I took a, a slight sampling to let you know. Did you know that matcha green tea contains both chrysetin and epigolachian gallate, which is EGCG? Oh, Am I saying those right, oh, Laura? Yeah, 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 yeah. And both are known to prevent the coronavirus enzyme from attacking your cell membrane. Oh, it the is site known. on which I. It is known. The site on which I found this info, of course, is selling a premium blend of matcha tea, as well as both online and in-person classes for how to best use it for health benefits. That particular site is based out of Sydney, Australia, but we have several closer to home that are still offering herbal blends as of mid-April. So this this was an article dated April 7. Yikes. At least three herbalist or Eastern medicine practices in Richmond, BC, so in the Canadian hot zone, are offering what sounds like the same herbal tea blend that the Winnipeg Clinic was busted for in March, and they're using a similar pitch line. Ugh. It's kind of scary. All of these practices claim that doctors who traveled to Wuhan in the early days of the virus all took this tea blend, and none of them contracted the virus. Yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah. In Wuhan, a quote falsely attributed to Dr. Li Wenlang, who brought the novel coronavirus to the public's attention, this quote has been circulating in the social media. The false quote is, who would have known that a simple cup of tea would be the solution to this virus? 
While tea, along with chocolate and coffee, contains xanthines, and methylxanthines are drugs derived from xanthines, which are used for, to treat respiratory issues, there is no truth to the rumor that the doctor was researching tea or its COVID-19 stopping properties, of which it has none. <laughs> mm-hmm. In India, cow urine and dung have long been used as cure-alls. A company called Cowpathy, so, you know, cow, homeopathy, oh. yeah, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sells both cow dung soap and an alcohol-free hand sanitizer made from, quote, distilled cow urine obtained from indigenous cows. Oh. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so horrifying. Oh my God. They've been selling the sanitizer since 2018, but they are currently out of stock and are limiting the purchase quantity per customer when the product does become available. Mm-mm. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, Lord. Like, you can only hope that there's actually somehow a bit of either alcohol or ammonia that's in there that's it's actually killing stuff. Free. <laughs> it's alcohol-free hand sanitizer, so... So, maybe it's ammonia? <laughs> maybe? It's, well, it's pee, so ammonia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't know what it smells like. I'm not ordering a sample. <laughs> It's not herbal tea-based. At least at this part, they aren't telling you to drink cow urine. But well, you don't you don't know what kind of tea they they fed the cow. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You got to filter it through the cow first. Ugh. Ethnobotanists associated with people indigenous to North America have brought to light several shysters and or hucksters who claim that traditional native herbalist knowledge can cure or prevent coronaviruses. Rosalind Lapierre, PhD, who is Blackfoot Métis, and an award-winning Indigenous writer, ethnobotanist, and environmental activist, reminds people that, quote, Before we share that new post telling us that drinking herbal tea cures COVID-19, consider that sharing misinformation about Indigenous knowledge on social media, especially anything that claims it can prevent, treat, or cure COVID-19, is dangerous. It amounts to traditional knowledge malpractice. While there are cultural components to a lot of these herbal remedies, I don't want to seem like I am picking on cultures that are different than my own. You get herbal cures and preventions touted on lifestyle guru sites and spouted by known bad actors who have already been mentioned on this episode. That's our cultural heritage, right? Yeah. God. Vapid white people. For a lot of people who last took a science class several years ago, viruses can be terrifying, especially on this global scale. And also terrifying is the fact that effective remedies take time to develop and test, and time is what we need right now, which is why we're all staying in our homes. As we've said over and over in this episode, there's no current vaccine or cure for COVID-19. Not turmeric, not basil, not a mix of six secret herbs and spices. Or 11. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did KFC have it all along? He must have. If that was the cure, we're all going to the meat store. <laughs> <laughs> the same site that gave me the cowpathy, they're claiming that COVID-19 was brought on because people eat meat and everybody should go vegetarian. And yes, oh, people should go yeah. vegetarian, but it won't prevent this virus. <laughs> yeah. Big yikes. Remember that no matter how many people posted on Facebook... Don't gargle or swallow essential oils to cure yourself of the virus. Or cow urine, either. Or cow urine. Yeah. Just stay away from cow urine. There's also that bizarre <laughs> one going around that I've seen, like, it's very popular about if you take a sip of salt water every 20 minutes, you'll wash the virus down into your stomach where it will be destroyed. Like, oh, yeah. Such bullshit. But I've seen people share it like it's some groundbreaking thing. Ugh. Yeah, and people are saying that another, like, with the herbal teas, it's, you know, the hot kills the virus as well. And are we heading back to the four humors? Ugh. Uh, again, because science is scary for some people. Or just non-existent in their world. They forget that we actually have a system for figuring things out. And so, and but, or they don't want to accept that it's messy. And so I will take the easy answer. Yeah. People are looking for quick and easy cures. And we are expecting more things quickly. We are expecting everything to be solved. And that's not happening in this case. And we just have to wait. Yeah, we're not accustomed to that. Listen to the WHO, wash your damn hands, and don't spend your money on anything that seems too good to be true. One of the big uh, 
buzzwords right now around cures for COVID-19 is hydroxychloroquine. So hydroxychloroquine and straight up chloroquine are synthetic variations of quinine, an herbal remedy derived from the bark of the cinchona tree. Please don't at me if I'm pronouncing any of these things incorrectly. <laughs> I've only read them. I was said cinchona, <laughs> but I have no idea. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, quinine has been used to treat malaria for a super long time, maybe one of the oldest medicines that we know about. Hydroxychloroquine, the later variant, is less toxic. It has fewer drug interactions and side effects. And because it's an approved drug for several conditions, it's easily prescribed by physicians, and it has been relatively easy for people who have heard it touted by certain politicians and media outlets to get a hold of it. Hydroxychloroquine kills viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, in vitro. However, it has been tested in earlier outbreaks of various diseases, because like I said, it's been around for... 80 years now, and it has failed to eradicate the flu virus or SARS in any living being. Yeah. So, again, promising results in vitro, nothing. Every time I hear of an in vitro study, I shouldn't dismiss it, but I kind of do. I'm just like, talk to me when there's real live things involved. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a good first step. You know what also kills a virus in a petri dish? A (laughs) flamethrower. Won't work in a real person. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the virus will be dead, yeah. but so will the person. So with hydroxychloroquine, the most likely benefit from the drug in people is the drug's ability to deal with inflammation. One of HCQS's main uses today is to treat autoimmune disorders such as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis by helping to tamp down inflammation. Uh, So rather than directly killing the virus, that might be what some of the promising studies are seeing is just that it helps with the inflammation. Uh, COVID-19's deadliest symptom is the extreme inflammation of the lungs, which leads to an inability of the body to efficiently complete oxygen exchange. So if we can get that inflammation down to a reasonable level, oxygen exchange can happen more easily, and that might help people recover. Of course, hydroxychloroquine is a drug that does real things, and so, of course, it also has side effects, some of which are extremely serious. Uh, Reports are starting to pile up that one part of COVID-19's disease course is cardiac complications, and one of HCQS's main side effects is a possibility of irregular heartbeat that can be fatal. So not an ideal double whammy. Dr. Andre Khalil, Director of Transplant Infectious Diseases at the University of Nebraska, says, if we don't do randomized controlled trials, if we just give these drugs to people just because they are sick, a lot of people may end up being killed by this drug because of the side effects, and we'll never know it because we'll think they died from COVID-19. Other serious side effects include eye and vision problems, especially with higher doses or long-term use. Uh, Changes in hearing and intense nausea are also possible. So people who are on this drug for lupus or rheumatoid arthritis have to get uh, very regular hearing and vision tests and also get tested for cardiac toxicity. It's not something to be played with lightly. In addition to prescribing HCQS to patients who have tested positive for COVID-19, some people are touting it as a prophylactic treatment, with no evidence to support that claim, although trials are underway. As Boston emergency physician Jeremy Faust explained in a tweet, patients with lupus, arthritis, other conditions are already on hydroxychloroquine, and we are diagnosing them with COVID-19. This means that people who are dosing themselves with hydroxychloroquine, hoping to prevent infection, are instead putting themselves at risk of cardiovascular and eye damage and other serious side effects in exchange for no known benefit. Hmm. Chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine have major drug interactions with other medicines that can put a person at even greater risk of an abnormal heart rhythm. For example, a commonly used antibiotic, azithromycin, is also being investigated for a possible benefit in treating COVID-19, but it has a known major drug interaction with chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. The two drugs are being investigated together and have shown promise in some small studies and poor results in others. So maybe they work great together. Maybe they're killing people. We have no idea. Not a great reason to go and put them together. Either taste great together or kill you. (laughs) Right, right. So even as a last resort, not a great idea. Of course, one of the reasons that talk about hydroxychloroquine as a possible treatment has exploded in recent weeks is Trump. Trump has repeatedly touted hydroxychloroquine and encouraged its use in treatment. Quote, Hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin taken together have a real chance to be one of the biggest game changers in the history of medicine, he tweeted on March 21st. 
After being told by many people, including experts in their field, that it was unproven and dangerous advice, remember, the two drugs are known to have interactions that can give you fatal cardiac issues, he bloviated on at an April 4th briefing. I hope they use the hydroxychloroquine. I hope they use it because I tell you what, what do you have (laughs) to lose? So one of the big effects of Trump's comments, other than people going out in droves to buy this stuff, are the disproportionate amount of research that is now being put into a drug that isn't any more likely than several other options to do any good. Before the president's tweet, roughly one in 10 trials studied hydroxychloroquine as an intervention. Afterwards, one in three new trials involved hydroxychloroquine. (laughs) Catherine Sally Radke at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County who has specialized in antiviral drugs for three decades, expressed concerns that the new wave of clinical trials are placing hydroxychloroquine as too high a priority. Quote, If we've put all of our eggs into this one basket, and then in three weeks or five weeks or six weeks or however long until we come out of this, it's shown that this indeed doesn't cure COVID and nothing else is being done, we're now behind the eight ball again. Dr. David Boulevard of the University of Minnesota is currently running three clinical trials into the drug's effect on COVID-19, including two on prophylactic uses. Boulevard said that he is less concerned about an abundance of hydroxychloroquine trials, obviously, he's running three of them, uh, than he is about reduced participation in trials. He says it's possible that people will opt not to participate in well-designed randomized trials because they can get hydroxychloroquine outside of a trial instead and not face a 50% chance of receiving a placebo. Hmm. So because it's so easy to get, people aren't going to want to go into the trial if there's a chance they might not get the drug. And indeed, part of the article was talking about how he can't get enough people to go into the study. He couldn't directly comment, but they were using the database that said, yeah, he was supposed to be done recruiting for this, and he has like 1,000 of 6,000 participants. So it's not going as well as he had hoped. So maybe you're going to touch on this, but Mm -hmm. where did this even come from? Where did it pop up? And does Trump have a major stake in a pharmaceutical company that (laughs) makes this? Because that's usually why he does anything. Yeah, not as far as I'm aware. I think that, um, so there was one very small study in France, I think, that found that it was effective, uh, again, paired with azithromycin. Um, But it was a pretty bad study. And other studies have had like, you know, four of the participants out of 11 had to drop out for other reasons. And so like the studies are just because we're working with what we have, right? Uh, Right. They're they're not good. Uh, So I think he just saw this one study and he's fixated on it. Well, you know, he heard about it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he's fixated on it. And of course, anytime anybody tells him he's wrong, he doubles down. Yeah. That is my theory. Okay. All right. So, of course, disproportionate research dollars are not the only consequences of Trump's remarks. A couple from Arizona, after hearing President Trump's comments about the drug, took an aquarium version of chloroquine phosphate, uh, which is designed to clean tanks and is not pharmaceutical grade. (gasps) Oh, no. Uh, So this was a husband and wife, and the wife says, I had it in the house because I used to have koi fish. Uh, I saw it sitting on the back shelf and thought, hey, isn't that the stuff they're talking about on TV? Immediately after ingesting the drug, both husband and wife got extremely ill. The man died of cardiac arrest, and the woman is in hospital but expected to recover. Oh. So uh, I'm sure there's other people that have this stuff lying around their house. It was not uh, difficult to obtain until recently. Uh, Apparently, one online aquarium retailer was sold out of the wonder drug on Tuesday and they had included on their terms of use that customers agree to use chloroquine only in the treatment and maintenance of ornamental fish. We agree not to intentionally divert these chemicals for any other use. But of course, if uh, all the aquarium stores are selling out of this, it's not because people suddenly have a lot more fish than they used to. (laughs) Oh my God. Aquarium stores aren't the only ones sold out of the drug. Both hydroxychloroquine sulfate and chloroquine phosphate tablets have been listed on the FDA's drug shortages website since March 31st. Uh, This has been fueling fear in people who depend on the drug to treat conditions that it's actually indicated for. People have been attempting to fill their prescriptions early and asking pharmacies to hold enough for them and still being unable to get the drug that they've been on for sometimes decades uh, because of the rush of people getting it to use as a prophylactic or storing it for possible use if they become infected. A couple of the pharmaceutical companies have also donated millions of doses to the Strategic National Stockpile for use in clinical trials or just to give to patients which is resulting in a shortage everywhere else for people who need it. So where exactly are people getting these prescriptions? Like, is it a non-prescription drug? It is a prescription drug, but um, because it is approved by the FDA, uh, any physician can write a 
uh, prescription for it for any reason, apparently. Right. Yeah, you can do off-label use. And that's fine. So I'm just wondering why all these physicians are just writing these scripts like mad. They have scared patients and they think it won't do any harm. They probably think it's like, oh, it's a malarial drug. Nobody actually needs that right now. Yeah. And they're not thinking about lupus patients that maybe they don't have a lupus patient, so they don't know. Right. It's my theory. I don't have any... You know. I know, but the idea of just like <laughs> writing a script for a non-trivial drug, this this is a even if it's a malarial drug, it has side effects. Yeah, that it has you, those really intense side effects. You don't just throw drugs at people for no reason. Yeah. You shouldn't. So there's some unethical prescribing going on there for sure. There is a little bit of good news uh, for folks in the U.S. anyway. The FDA has approved new manufacturers of HCQS, which the new manufacturers, there will only be allowed to produce the drug for people uh, with um, uncomplicated malaria, lupus, or rheumatoid arthritis, uh, and they will not allow these drugs to be used for COVID-19, either prophylactic or for sick people. I have no idea how that is enforced, but that is the text of the thing anyway. Hmm. Quote, this is very good news for those with rheumatic conditions such as lupus. Alfred Kim, MD, PhD of the Washington University School of Medicine says, this will facilitate multiple suppliers to manufacture HCQ generically. We will help alleviate the current supply constraints and we hope this happens quickly. So yeah, basically just a bunch of people or a bunch of companies are being allowed to manufacture the generic without having to go through the huge long application process that they would normally have to do. Well, that's something. Yeah, they're trying anyway. Rachel Bistritsky, an infectious disease doctor at the University of California, San Francisco, says that patients and providers alike hope for a cure for COVID-19, but skepticism of anyone who says they have one for this new pathogen is crucial. As with many viral infections, the cornerstone of treatment remains supportive care, such as breathing assistance if needed. Beware of anyone who says they have a totally effective cure for a new disease, she said, and remember that most people will get better on their own with supportive care. Anyone have anything to add before we go to our post segment? Now is not the time to start a diet. I'm just going to throw that out there. As I went down some rabbit holes, there was a bunch of things like, oh, people who are in larger bodies are at an increased risk of COVID. So if you lose weight, you'll reduce your risk. I'm like, well, let's, whoa, let's slow down now. Let's just make sure that we're eating well. Okay, let's just, can we just can we just stop that? And also, no, keto is not going to prevent this. And you actually have a greater risk of having nutrient deficiencies if you're not very careful on your keto diet. So don't. I'm living on a diet that is basically cheese curds and two bite brownies. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> that is extremely low in vitamin C. Please go eat an Fruits orange. And veggies. I'm eating my vegetables <laughs> and my oranges. I'm just being silly. Uh-huh. But I, I do like the cheese curds and brownie part of it. That sounds delicious. <laughs> Our grocery list is just brownies and cheese. Brownies and cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Luckily, Lauren is not in charge of the actual grocery shopping. No, because apparently <laughs> I'm now five years old. <laughs> I had heard, getting back to Trump, I had heard that he did have some financial stake in hydroxychloroquine. But I, I did look it up and it is uh, rated as mostly false by Snopes. Apparently, there are some family trusts that have minor investments in some companies, but it's not it's not anything major and not anything that Trump would. You even probably pay wouldn't have known to. about it. Yeah, it is. It is much more likely that he just had somebody mention this, and because he is who he is, he just decided that was the thing. Because the last person who said anything to him is uh, is just the the expert on the subject. Yeah, or he saw it on Fox and Friends or something. Uh, did you want to tell your story about Huxley, Jim? Oh, yeah. So we are enjoying our quarantine. We're letting the kids like go out and play in the front yard and like that. We just got both the kids uh, like razor scooters and they're they're having all sorts of fun. You know, we're maintaining our distance from other people. The streets are pretty deserted, but, you know, trying to get the kids outside and exercising and like that. We usually let them um, let them both kind of run around in the front without too much direct supervision. But Huxley who is three years old, uh, did run out of the yard <laughs> the other day. And by the time I caught him, he was at the naturopathic clinic down the block, rubbing <laughs> his, his hands all over the uh, the door handle. And I, I don't know if there is an optimal coronavirus vector, but that's got to be pretty close. 
So that was uh, that was not ideal. Truly horrifying. I think this w- probably would be a, a good time to segue into our what have we been enjoying segment, though. Yeah. What have you been enjoying, Jam? I hear there's one thing. Yeah. My time has been pretty constrained. I've been working a lot lately. Laura and I are both working uh, full time still. Me from home, Laura sometimes from home. And I actually had been doing working on a government project, been kind of contracted out to work on something called Help Next Door MB, which you can find at helpnextdoormb.ca. It's like a volunteer matching platform. So far, the platform has uh, proven very helpful in providing assistance to people who need somebody to run errands or check in on a relative or something when they're under quarantine. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful to have been able to help out building that platform. I was uh, one quarter of the dev team, well, or clo- closer to one half of the dev team now. However, that project was six days from blue sky to in production. So um, uh, there's there's been a lot of work. <laughs> However, I have found in this time one thing that has provided me some enjoyment, you know, aside from my my family and my wonderful family time. Uh, and that has been, I have discovered the musical Hades Town. Uh, mm. Have any of you folks listened to this at all? I know Laura's been subjected to it. I have heard of it, it, but I haven't managed to listen to it. Um, it uh, it's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, but with a modernish twist. Uh, the underworld is depicted like a, a company town, and the music has a heavy Zdeco influence, which is really cool. It is my new go-to like uh, baking and cooking music, and if you're into musicals, I'd definitely give it a listen. Uh, it's lots of fun. Cool. What have you been enjoying, Lauren? I've been enjoying working from home. <laughs> I've actually been, my mental health is much better. Not having to go into the office every day, not having to use the transit system every day. I'm feeling much better, even though I'm working the same hours. That's great. That's good. Also, I've been reading uh, Moby Dick, mostly to look for any sort of uh, queer subtext. <laughs> and that's that's it. That's what I've been doing. Ashlyn and Dave got me into Gloomhaven because their normal fourth player can't make it over because of quarantine. So I've been um, drafted. <laughs> come here play a rogue you know how to do that okay i guess if i have nothing else to do (laughs) what have you been enjoying laura nothing (laughs) i wish i don't know i should say stuff like the baking i've been doing and that but quite honestly being at home with our family only us for 24 hours a day constantly is tiring and it's a lot yeah it is more it is more of everything there is less work and less help and less community and less of all of the things that made life kind of uh, a little bit easier or just took some of the stra- strain off and it is all all on us and uh, i have not had a lot of time for a lot of other things So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I certainly feel for you folks having to work all the time and also be expected to be a teacher and keep your children entertained constantly. Like it's just, it's too much for anybody. It is is too much. And not to mention that they also are feeling a huge disruption in their routine. Mm -hmm. You know, they're one is tends to internalize things. And so there's a lot of outbursts and the other one just never stops and is more of a destructor than usual. So it's, yeah, it's hard because I know a lot of people have it a lot worse and they're struggling a lot more. Like John said, I still have my job and I still have stuff like that. And and we have plenty of food in the house and all like, I'm not under strict quarantine and all of these kinds of things. I'm, I'm quite fortunate as it is. Um, but it's just, it's hard. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a contest for it to be really hard for you. No, I know, but it's... But hey, you tested negative. Yay! Yay. <laughs> it's also like like Laura's difficulties have been exacerbated by the fact that I've been working such long hours. Like I worked a double week uh, a few weeks ago and it's been tapering off a little bit. But I have not been pulling my weight, frankly, because I've been working so much. And also mm-hmm. because I, in the times that I've not been working, I've been so like dead to the world. Uh, because I'm so tired. Yeah, you see, kind of the the two extremes on the internet. Like, if you're not 
learning a new craft or figuring something out and becoming super productive during this quarantine, then you didn't actually lack the time, you lacked the motivation or whatever. And then the opposite, which is like just existing right now is really freaking hard. So good for you for getting through it. And I'm absolutely team B. And it goes back to like, it could be worse. But I've been hearing a lot of people talk about uh, because I still listen to podcasts and like that podcast listenership has been down, I I assume because nobody has commutes anymore, (laughs) or very few people. But mm-hmm. yeah. I've been hearing people talk about like what they're doing during quarantine and all the Netflix they're watching and like that. And, you know, like I, I have caught myself thinking, oh, must be nice a few times. And that's I mean, that's wrong on for so many reasons. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely am grateful for the situation that that we're in. Um, but that has not been our experience. So, yeah, I'm definitely experiencing a, a mixed bag. Uh, pretty much every event that I make money at over the year has been cancelled or postponed. Hmm. So that's great. But on the other hand, I don't feel as much pressure to make, 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 make so that I have enough product to sell. Mm -hmm. I launched a Patreon last month, which feels like last year at this point. You can find me at patreon.com slash noblewhimsical. I'm making decals and glass beads, and now it looks like it's going to be pretty much my whole income for the year. So that's exciting. (laughs) We'll link to that in the show Uh, But it's actually going quite well. So that's it's really nice to be seeing both people that I know supporting my work and people that I have no idea who they are signing up to get beads from me every month. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And in between making stuff for my patrons, I have uh, been playing so much Gloomhaven. <laughs> Is that your what you've been enjoying this uh, this this month? Yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about. Uh, I think that uh, our husband Dave is the extrovert of our family. And I think that playing Gloomhaven for four to 12 hours a day is keeping him sane while we keep him at home. <laughs> <laughs> so it has been both nice to play so much game and also exhausting. <laughs> but yes, I am one of those people who has a lot of time on my hands. But it's nice to have my family at home and not be worried about them. When they were still having to go to work when things were starting to get serious. I was very stressed out. So yeah, ups and downs in this new COVID life, but we're making through. Oh, I also loved playing Jackbox with you guys the other day. That was great. (laughs) And we should do that more. I love those games. They're such a riot. Yeah, let's do that again. (laughs) I decided to sleep instead. So I apologize for not joining. It was a day where I was having a very bad mental health day. And I'm just like, I'm going to sleep in bed for 20 hours now. Thank you. (laughs) That is... That is just fine. Yeah. Sometimes you but just we will need play to play more that. games in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyone have any final notes? No, I don't think so. Nope. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night. Good night. We'll s- see you next month. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about next month, Jim? Yeah, I almost <laughs> got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. So I had been, I've been going back and forth between two different potential topics. One was COVID-19 conspiracy theories, but, you know, I I feel like that's a lot of COVID uh, content, especially for a podcast that comes out only monthly. Um, And, and, you know, people want to escape. Don't believe the conspiracy theories, they're they're balderdash. Instead, I think uh, we're going to do another quiz show show. Nice. I'm excited. I have been missing our weekly uh, trivia night. Oh, me too. All right. Well, we'll get back to it. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is produced by Jem Newman and Ashlyn Noble, with mix and tech production by Jem Newman. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Lauren Bailey. Life. Don't talk to me about life. Sorry, cats are the worst. Uh... (laughs) Oh my god. If we don't have an outtake of Jem saying cats are the worst, can we still call ourselves L-U-E? <laughs> cats are the best. <laughs> <laughs>